0: Hey everyone, welcome to another wonderful episode of the Food About Town podcast. My name is Chris Lindstrom, I'm your host, and this week in episode 23, I talk to Calvin Eaton from Ask the Gluten-Free Chef. He has a website and a podcast, he's done about four episodes so far, where he talks about gluten-free living, uh, gluten-free recipes, which he specializes in, and takes questions from people on really how to live that lifestyle. I really enjoyed talking to Calvin. He has a fascinating backstory. Uh, he's gone through a lot, but he's a relentlessly upbeat guy. And I've, I felt inspired walking away from our conversation. Uh, he's a guy that just keeps on going, and I, I'm really, I was really impressed. Uh, this is another one of my random meetings um, online. I ended up talking to him, and you know, we, we had a great time. I really enjoyed it, and I hope you enjoy it too. Um, please send me some feedback on the website. And tune in next week for episode 24. Thanks. to another episode of the Food About Town podcast. This week I am sitting down with Calvin Eaton. How are you doing today, Calvin? I'm fine. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. It's a beautiful day in Rochester. It's very beautiful. I mean, since we haven't had rain in what, a solid day
1: and a half now? Has it even been that long? Like, it I can't remember. Seem
0: <laughs> it's hard to get used to.
1: It was downpouring, like literally, was it yesterday? Oh, morning? yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, it's... It's amazing that this whole springtime thing, it's hard to get used to after the eternal winter that we go through every year. Right. I mean, but yeah, it's,
1: it's, it's crazy. I'm, I'm over, I'm, I don't even know what season we're in actually. It's like, is it winter? Is it summer? Is it spring?
0: Yeah. If we get snow next week, I wouldn't be right. shocked. <laughs> but I mean, it's Rochester and what we do best is complain about the weather. So, right. Well, I am here. this it, is it's a, this is another episode that it's, it's becoming kind of commonplace for me recently. I've been seeing interesting people on the internets, mm-hmm. and I've been reaching out to them and seeing if they want to do podcasts, people I haven't met before, and topics that I thought would be interesting, and the reason I ran across Calvin was he reached out to me after reading one of my reviews on uh, the City Paper, and I saw he started his own gluten-free podcast. What would what what you look at that? You know, what are the odds? Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's an odd thing, and it, it really... You know, it's I think it's one of the better things about the you know, the social media connectivity that we're all a part of nowadays, that you can really
1: you can reach out to people mm-hmm. and meet new and different people with no introduction whatsoever. Absolutely. It's it's just I, I can't even believe I'm here. Like I, I was telling you a little earlier. I started my podcast, Ask the Gluten Free Chef, literally like three weeks ago.
0: And let's pause. So okay. can you find that on iTunes or
1: is that still on your no, it's it's on iTunes. I'm on SoundCloud, Stitcher, all of that, and just trying to obviously increase everyone who has access to the podcast. You can visit, you can listen to it on my site as well. It's all embedded in in the blog, the Gluten Free Chef blog. So it's just really exciting. And then when I came across your blog, Food About Town, and then your podcast, I was just like really excited because, of course, being new to the podcast game. And then really trying to increase visibility of, you know, what what I create my content and also my blog in Rochester. I was just like, cool, there's another like foodie podcaster in Rochester. Like who, who knew? And I didn't know until three weeks ago. So I'm excited. Yeah, that's great. And it's, um,
0: so the big reason I wanted to have you over, not just because you're into the media stuff, but. Gluten-free is such a big topic nowadays, mm-hmm. both in the media and just in people's lives in general. What brought you to writing and talking about gluten-free as a as a topic?
1: It's it's such a long journey. I'll, I'll try to give you like the condensed version. I never really know where to start, so I mean I'll, I'll think about it for just like a second just so that I can make it as succinct as possible. So I, I I deal with a couple of different chronic illnesses, celiac disease being one of those. And I was officially diagnosed, I think it was maybe in maybe late 2010, early 2011. But I had been kind of on the gluten-free journey since about 2009. Mm-hmm. And obviously, people who deal with celiac disease and you get that diagnosed, it's usually not something that you get diagnosed with right away. There's mm-hmm. usually... Sometimes several years of, of a build up and, and searching for what is wrong with you, and
0: several years of what you would consider to be you know it's kind of suffering, really, right? Absolutely. In a lot of ways. Yeah.
1: So um, back in two thousand and nine, when I was really trying to, I was just having a lot of symptoms of just like irritable bowel and fatigue and other things, and um, you know, I was I was as a way to mitigate that. Just before I kind of get into like the deeper story. Um I just started I said I was about at that time I was probably three hundred and thirty pounds or so, so wow. I was pretty heavy back then and i I said, Well, before I get too crazy, maybe I need to just lose a little weight, so that's kind of where it started, and so, in two thousand and nine, I really kind of started just you know trying to eat better and be more cognizant of what I'm eating and all of that and so I lost maybe about maybe 15 pounds by the end of 2009 I started like in the summer maybe around maybe this time back then and you know I was really dedicated I started just by walking every single day and then I lost you know lost about 15 pounds felt really good and then I kind of fell off the wagon I guess I'd say so this is like 2010 we're in and And we've Um, all done that before. Right. right. I fell off the wagon, of course, the the proverbial wagon that everyone (laughs) falls off of. And so, you know, life happens. I, during that time, I ended up, I, you know, bought my first house or condo. It was, I was out in Churchville and in 2010, I was laid off from the U of R. I was working at the U of R at the time and I was laid off finishing up my master's degree um, and all of that at RIT, et cetera. And. After I got laid off in like the fall of 2010, finishing up my program at that time, I got like pretty much after that. I had always, you know, been kind of just battling, just not feeling well for over a year now. Mm-hmm. But I really like was really like something is wrong with me. Like I obviously I I I kind of attributed it to really like maybe I'm just depressed because I got laid off and I don't have a job right now. So it so there you was, to blame you know, everything yeah, on yourself, right? You know? So there was that and. So, of course, I'm thinking, okay, I finished up my master's. I'm going to get a job pretty quickly. It was completely unrelated to food or anything like that. And, you know, of course, the search for, you know, another employment comes. And that was when the the market really crashed and all of that. And so I, during this time, of course, looking for a job, finishing up a master's program and not feeling well. And so as 2010 closed, and we get into 2000, um, early 2011 I just really found that I wasn't getting any better I was like getting worse so I of course started going to the doctor I was really like the fatigue was like serious fatigue like literally like I couldn't get out of the out of the bed some some nights oh. or some days like in bed all day and it would just be enough just to get to the bathroom and whatever and it was scary I was like absolutely devastated um, and I think the it was like maybe like three weeks of me being like extremely sick. Of course I live alone and I went to the doctor, they diagnosed it as like a mono kind of a thing. Hmm. I don't know how that came, but it was treated as like a viral infection, you know, mm-hmm. you get or a bacterial infection, whatever. They gave me antibiotics and, you know, started on that and it just really wasn't wasn't working at all. So long story short, I ended up being diagnosed with fibromyalgia, which is a neurological um condition that kind of has to do with the way your brain processes pain so i kind of have an oversensitivity to pain and just like action in general so what happens is that you're just constantly in like this excruciating throbbing different types of pain sometimes it manifests itself as like a tingling pain um, sometimes it manifests itself as like a stabbing, shooting pain, like after you've worked out, mm. I guess, to try to give it some type of um, clarity, like after you've like lifted weights and just that like initial feeling that you get the next day. But that just lingers and never goes away, like that flu type pain, like you're just yeah. achy kind of a pain. So, so I had that. And then, you know, I was trying to deal with that and at this point the celiac diagnosis had not come yet but I was still trying to as best as I could figure out how I could cure myself because back then I was really focused on like I am going to beat this and I'm going to do all that I can to really um, get over this. I thought it was something that I could like actually cure on my own. So in the midst of that I went you know I did the whole like you know trying to eliminate the elimination diet where I was you know, maybe it's wheat, and so I started doing research on that, um, and really just started developing recipes that were wheat-free, and I, I was pretty much convinced that it was the wheat that was doing it, and because um, I was in the kind of the gluten-free cooking, and all of that started to happen around that same time, so we have all of these kind of like concurrent illnesses working, and you know, within me, and all of that, so I really wanted to find, I, I really just started just dabbling more in the kitchen, cooking more, you know, whole real food types of things that were um, grain free and all of that. And my goal was, I said, I not only do I want to lose weight, but I want to create recipes that I feel like they're gluten free and they taste just the same as like anything else. I was tired of like trying to find a bakery locally. This is before I relocated. But I was I think there was there was once a gluten free bakery on South Avenue at one point. But yeah, I mean, then, there's
0: there's been a few and it's I think that's something that a lot of people try to do both in in the gluten-free world and the vegan world. Right. Tr- trying to make things the way they were. Right. And at yeah. some point you kind of have to say, "Hey, you can you can make them as best as you can." Right. But you have to embrace the difference. Right. Right. You that's can't huge. the bread's not going to be the same. It just isn't. It's Absolutely. never it's never going to be the same bread. It's never going to be the same. You can't replicate beef.
1: You're, right. you're better off enjoying the vegetables and enjoying the things without what it was. Exactly. And so with learning all of that and, you know, replacements and, and, and kind of getting it, it took several years, obviously. So um, and I hope I'm not rambling on. No, this, is I mean, like, this, this is like a long, I think like, it's, I <laughs> think trying it's to retell fascin- the story.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating story. And I think a lot of people that struggled with these kind of things, It's it's great to hear it coming from somebody else who is, gotten, not past it, because you don't get past it, but who's learned to live with it.
1: And I might, some of my times I might have, like, you know, in your mind, you're like, okay, what year was that? So I ended up moving to Nashville in 2011. I kind of wrapping up the whole job situation. I, I didn't find the, like, the career that I had been in. So during this time of, like, battling a new illness, trying to lose weight and just become healthier, I ended up deciding that I was going to just try a different profession. So I looked into teaching, and that's kind of where that started. So I ended up doing a program called the National Teaching Fellows, and I moved to Tennessee to teach special education in in a high-needs area where they needed qualified teachers. And the point of the program, kind of similar to Teach for America, is that they're trying to get highly qualified individuals who do not have a traditional education background into areas that there's a high need for people who want to teach in the classroom so i ended up moving down there in june of 2011 and by this time i had pretty much lost about 150 pounds and um i still did not have an official like celiac diagnosis but i had converted to a complete gluten-free you know life and diet and all of that kind of figured it out on your own yeah Um, because in in, in learning all of that and going to doctors I just feel like you have to be your own self-advocate and you know your body best and regardless of what any type of a test says or what doctors may dismiss your concerns if you feel that something whether it be you know wheat or whatever it is doesn't your body doesn't respond well to that you should always listen to that and you know eliminate it and that's what I did and with with that, you know, I moved and of course when you move, I'm you know, I'm single, I've moved to a new town, don't have a lot of money and I'm on this gluten free diet, and so that's when I really started like to try to like figure out using just common ingredients in my pantry, how can I like make a pancake? Like I only have like cornstarch, cornmeal, sure whatever, a couple eggs, you know, living like literally living on pretty much on a dime as they say. And so I just started playing with recipes and it really My recipe writing was really developed then when I'm trying to, you know, recreate, like maybe I make a cornbread. So I remember one day I was trying to make cornbread. I'm in this like tiny apartment. I had like cornstarch, a few eggs, cornmeal, and sugar, Mm -hmm. and maybe butter, maybe a stick of butter. And I said, I want to make cornbread. And so I made, you know, from scratch cornbread with those basic gluten-free ingredients. And it was great. Like things were turning out. Like I was like, okay, these things really taste good. And then, you know, people would invite me over and we'd have like little cookout stuff. And I, you know, kind of take, you know, my little, my dimes and, you know, I'll bring a dish. And some of the things that I started to make for myself, I started to bring bring a dish and make for someone else. And people were like, this is great. And of course I was completely silent that any of this was gluten-free. That's the best way of exposing people to new things. Right. So there's no bias. There's right, no, exactly. you know, oh, something to that. And so I said, Maybe I'm really on to something. So, you know, we fast forward, I'm teaching, I'm developing recipes here and there, cooking for friends and family, just like, you know, for fun and all of that. And I ended up getting into, I had an accident. So it's 2012, we're in 2012 now. I The start of the 2012 school year, I'm in Nashville and I ended up having an accident with a student where I fell down a flight of stairs with a student who had a mm. traumatic brain injury, et cetera. And that pretty much put me into like what they call a full fibromyalgia flare where wow. all of your symptoms of fatigue, the pain kind of escalate and come to like a, a head and I had to I went out of work of course um for the pretty much that whole school year and it was during this time that cuz I didn't know why the symptoms were so severe I, I didn't attribute it to the accident like not right away but it was during this time that I started blogging because I remember going to one of the doctors um, after the accident and they said just start writing about your symptoms Write every day how you're feeling whatever activity you may or may not do that how you feel after you do them and some days it was difficult to like write with a pen and you know a pen and pencil or whatever on paper and so I said I'll just start computer writing and I just started this blog it was just my own personal just like release more like a therapy for me and it was called living living with fibromyalgia livingwithfibroblog.com and started blogging and then throughout that process I just just it was it's just like life happens and I just started my thoughts became poetry so I started writing poems just literally expressing how I was feeling just the the depression during that time of, of course, not being able to work your career that you recently just started being bed bound, being in excruciating pain, not knowing why. And that manifested itself in poetry and just trying to, I said, there has to be someone else that I could perhaps help during this like moment of despair in my life. So that's where that kind of writing and blogging came, was born from that experience. Mm -hmm. And so I think that was in September of 2012, and then in December, I was inspired. Of course, I'm writing and, and all of that, and kind of entered into this blogging world and started, you know, researching other blogs and connecting with other bloggers. Very similar to how I met you, sure. And I started the Gluten Free Chef blog because I, I, I had this idea, and of course, during this time, I'm writing down all of these ideas. I wasn't very confident that I go back to actually teaching traditionally. And so I said, I had kind of started doing research and saying, okay, maybe because I had this illness, maybe just working in the traditional sense, maybe I can't sustain that Hmm. because of my fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue syndrome, et cetera. And I said, maybe I can somehow make some type of a living through blogging and writing. And that was the idea. And I said, so, of course you know when you're when you're researching about like how to start a blog, what to write about, what to do, all of the content that it tells you you have to write what you know I think it's the only thing
0: to do right you know right. if you' if you're, not, if you're not writing something you care about and i've actually i've talked to some talked to some younger people recently that said, "Hey, they were interested in writing about food right, and I think the best advice you can give to anybody. If you're looking to try something new, try writing, try podcasting, try YouTube, whatever you want to do, is you're not going to keep up with it if it's not something you don't care about. Right. You really have to care about it. You have to have a passion for it, or else you don't you don't you don't keep up with it. You know, you don't you don't take the time and effort to do it on a regular basis. It just it's so easy to give it up if it doesn't doesn't hook you right in your core. You know.
1: Right, and so. I decided to start, so the Gluten-Free Chef blog started out of just me living with a couple different conditions. And so you have, like, I had Living with Fibro blog on on the one end. And I felt, at, at least at that time, I felt that it was a, very dark, the content, because of what I was going through. <laughs> it's hard for it not to be. Right. And so the Gluten-Free Chef blog, I said, well, I also, you know, I'm a celiac and I am eating gluten-free. And I said... I want a blog to kind of channel and really show my journey, kind of how I started, what I'm what I'm eating, what I'm not eating, what I'm finding because I felt like there was not there there's tons and hundreds of of blogs and food blogs and gluten-free blogs and grain-free blogs but I felt like my 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 story or my journey or what I wanted to give or disseminate to people was that how to keep it simple and how to do it and how to eat gluten free on a budget that was really big, especially when I first started writing. And I said, I feel like the recipes that I've developed so far are really, they, they mimic or they're as close as that you can possibly get to or in some cases better than when I was eating with wheat. And so I wanted to share that information. So I'm sharing, I'm teaching. And I felt like I said, I have a story and information that could help potentially help someone else so that, when someone else is diagnosed, there's a place that they can go to and find content. Hey, what store do I go to? What's the best brand to buy so that they're not spending $100 buying, you know, 10, 15 gluten-free flours and wasting half of that money? Because, you know, you're just trying. You don't You don't know at the beginning. You don't know that you can't just when you when you start, especially with baking gluten-free, you just can't go out and buy coconut flour and make Chocolate cake. You think coconut flour as a cup for cup substitution? No, it doesn't. It just doesn't work that way. But most of us don't know that. Yeah, <laughs> I exactly. didn't know that. So I said, I'll make sure that I tell someone that so they don't make the same mistakes I did in, in a way.
0: Well, and you're and you're right. And it's kind of a kind of the underlying point to what you're saying. A lot of the people that struggle the worst with these kind of things mm-hmm. from the lack of knowledge are the people that don't have the resources, that don't have that, you know, the the funds to go just buy whatever they want. They're the people that suffer the worst with a lot of these diseases.
1: Right. And and just because you feel so isolated sometimes because especially food, I mean that's part of all of our lives. It's embedded in our culture. Most of us celebrate events. You 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 really recognize milestones through food. When you come together and not only in the American culture, but pretty much every culture worldwide, food is a major part of that. And many times, especially when you have a food allergy or an autoimmune illness, which celiac is, it's not an allergy, it's an autoimmune illness. You feel isolated because it's like you don't know what you can eat. People don't know. And a lot of times you end up early on just, oh, I'll just have water in a salad or not even a salad, maybe I'll have water and a piece of lettuce, literally, yeah. like a, maybe a slice of cheese. And so, you know, at first, that you know, that's okay, but after so long, it's like, okay, you want to feel cl- included in part of the party. Like it's, I remember writing posts like, I just want a piece of cake. Can I just have a cupcake? Like different things like that. And depending on where you may be in, in, in the country, you may not have a gluten-free bakery nearby or right. even a store that carries anything that's, gluten-free and barely edible Mm -hmm. so I said I want to be a resource and say hey you can make your own cake or cupcake and you can make it gluten-free and not only will it taste just as good as a chocolate cupcake you remember from you know a child or three months ago when when you weren't when you didn't have this diagnosis it'll it'll be simple it'll be easy to make and it'll be delicious and those are the three when I create recipes and when I started and even to this day those are the three criteria that I use does it, does it taste just as good as what people are used to? Mm-hmm. Um, because I said, I'm not going to be the person who's trying to figure out when I have company or whatever, I'm not going to make three different meals. Every time you eat from Calvin, you're going to eat gluten-free and you mm-hmm. won't, you won't know it because it won't matter. And so that's where I, what I really wanted to, you know, my food and the food that I create in my blog and everything is really about that. Gluten-free is just, I mean, it, it's important, but, it, you don't have to know the difference it doesn't have to be this enigma or this like you know this crazy thing it's just good food gluten free food is just good food that just happens to be gluten free and that's really what it's about
0: yeah and it's you're right you don't have to you don't have to preach it all the time and say hey you don't have to put it in people's faces right and it's it's great it's great to tell people and say hey you know if you have friends who are gluten free you don't have to You don't have to cook separate things for everybody. I I was actually talking to the other, uh, yesterday actually, Mm -hmm. uh, the company I work for, I was taking some of my customers out for dinner, and one of them is a, he's a celiac, he is, it's serious, and he has to have gluten-free meals. Mm -hmm. So it's, sometimes it's hard if you're looking at menus to go out and find real gluten-free options but what it, what it comes from that knowledge, what comes from the fact that you understand that it comes from wheat and it comes from that protein. Right. You can look for things, even if it doesn't have the have a GF next to it like a chain would have. Right. You can know it's gluten-free by what the contents of the meal are. And exactly. you know what questions to ask is, hey, does this have soy sauce on it? Right, exactly. Because some, you know, sometimes soy sauce is a problem. Sometimes it isn't. You have to know enough to ask that question beyond... Is there gluten in this? A lot of places don't know.
1: Right, exactly. And
0: you can go to a ton of places and have good gluten-free meals even though they don't say gluten-free on it. You just have to be a little bit aware and you have to spend that time and effort to learn. Hey, this is the problem I have. Right. I don't want to suffer. Exactly. You have to live with it, but you don't have to suffer all the time. You can go you can go to any restaurant almost mm-hmm. and get something that's gluten-free and that's delicious. You just have. You really have to understand, and taking a step back to what you said before, understand your own body and how it right. works. It's so easy to ignore the messages you're getting from your body.
1: Absolutely, and it's so it's so it's so good to hear you just like speak to this and like understand it and and understand that you know on one hand it does seem very daunting and like convoluted and like complicated. Like okay, this person has celiac disease. Like it's not you don't have to like induce the same type of fear in people as someone who may have like a peanut allergy or a fish allergy where they can like literally go into like anaphylactic shock in the moment and those are even be a more difficult very They're serious cool. moment but that doesn't it's still it still is serious it may, it's not necessarily that will happen to you because there are also people who actually do have a wheat allergy, which is completely different from celiac disease. And they <laughs> will go into anaphylactic shock wow. if they ingest the wheat. So, I mean, that is, that is there and that does exist. But for me and just people, for, for the most part with celiac disease, just like you said, understanding what foods and what foods are not gluten-free naturally and that you can go to a restaurant and even if it's not a a prominently known restaurant that, the menu you may not know offhand if it's gluten-free or they may not be advertising that that you can still through that basic understanding and knowledge know what ingredients are things that you should stay away from or you know whatever and that's really what the blog was about the gluten-free chef blog was is about just that that knowledge and understanding and then being able to find like okay when I'm shopping for myself what brands do I get what brands should I stay away from because like I talk about a lot through the blog, all gluten-free isn't the same. So, so now there's what you didn't have five, ten years ago. What we have now is that we have an overabundance of gluten-free labels popping up literally every week. All of the, you know, all of the major brands, and I, I don't want to get into any product endorsement, but, you know, but all, all, all of the them.
0: Processed, all the processed foods that are gluten-free. Right. And it's great in one way. Yes. It's, it's great that it's all available. But at the same time, it's, it's important to take that step back and say, you know what also is gluten-free? Real vegetables mm-hmm. from the farmer's market mm-hmm. are gluten-free, always and forever. Absolutely. They've always been gluten-free. They will remain gluten-free forever. They don't need a label. You can get great produce. You can get fruits. You can get vegetables. You can get local meats mm-hmm. and enjoy the best that our area has to offer. Absolutely. And not, you don't have to go, I mean, and there's great resources. You can go to Lori's Natural Foods. You can go to Wegmans. You can get a lot of great gluten-free products. You can get good pasta. You can get quinoa pasta or brown rice pasta and get something that makes you happy. But at the same time, you have to enjoy, and that's, I'm always preaching this, you have to go out and enjoy the the bounty that upstate New York has. We have some of the best produce in the country. Absolutely. And peas are always gluten-free, right? you know?
1: Well, it's so cool to hear you mention all of this, you know, all of the resources that we have here with the farmers' markets. I think, I don't even know, I've never, I don't think I've counted, but we have at least 10, like, great farmers' markets, like, in in uh, within the city limits, you know, there's the Brighton Farmers' Market, there's, of course, the Rochester Public Market, there's one in the Rhonda you know, that yep. starts in June, the South Wedge one. So what, what I really wanted to articulate through my writing and and blogging recipes is that you're using like you've mentioned whole real clean food that you have to cook and many times from scratch but do that in a simple way because of course part of my perspective is is someone who is a foodie and and a chef and a cook and a baker but also I have limitations many, many times that I'm not I'm not trying to spend three four hours on a meal because I don't have the time and I don't necessarily have the energy um, or the strength in some, some cases to do that, but you you can still eat well and eat gluten-free and eat healthy. And, you know, back when I was in Nashville, I was following a pretty strict, I guess in, in my in my case in my sense a strict vegan vegetarian vegan type of a diet a plant based diet mm-hmm. and I've loosened up on that a little bit now and, and made it more that I, I eat I really I hate I always hated the labels of course as is like you you everything is a label you're looking of at course. labels 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 but it's like I I think sometimes people and this is maybe going on a on a whole other tangent but I you, love tangents when you talk about vegan and vegetarian and all of that I think you mentioned sometimes people can be very preachy, like, you know, and and when I was following that vegan or more of a plant-based diet and really really restricting my meat intake, I was doing it for some personal reasons, some ethical reasons that I, you know, causes that I felt really strongly about at the time. But I never, and even in being gluten-free, I don't want to be preachy to people like, I'm vegan, I'm better, or how dare you eat that steak you killed the cow. Like, I I don't want to, because I feel like, as long as you have the understanding and the awareness piece and you know how food is processed and prepared and you have an understanding of the the meat industry and all of that, and then you still choose to, to eat how you need to eat. I think that's all everyone's individual choice in that it's not up for each of us individually to impose what, how we eat on other people, but... Um, and I think I've forgotten where I was going with this. Well, you know, maybe I, you can I, help me out. <laughs> I, I certainly can.
0: I, I, I appreciate that position. I've I've enjoyed some time spent as what I would call strict vegetarian, where I would still eat eggs or, right. or cheese, but go a month at a time without eating any meat-related products, where an animal would have to die to get to it. And I, I found it very enjoyable. I love doing it. But I mean, it's getting more and more popular to do uh, what I think Mark Bittman coined as flexitarianism. Uh, from the New York Times, or if you read, you know, read a book like the Omnivore's Dilemma. Mm-hmm. Like I think Michael Pollan. Right, I've read um, that for sure, and a great book. And it, it, I think it opens your eyes somewhat to the cycles of food, mm-hmm. how how meat works, how how vegetables work, and you that you can have ethically sourced meat, right? But at the same time, you can have ethically sourced vegetables.
1: Yeah, and and I think you know my 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 point in saying all of that was to really just communicate that you know, opening up your your mind to all just the different possibilities and foods that we have. And I I think the biggest change or one of the positive things that I think having celiac disease, because I really now really want to like to focus on the positive aspects of just like life in general, no matter what you're going through or dealing with. And for me, it really opened up my palate, just like you know, I wasn't cooking with quinoa 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know. It, I never I had not never even heard of it. Sure. Sorghum, never even heard of it. So it really opens up when if you have an open mind instead of focusing on, hey, I can't eat this. I can't eat that. Look at all the things you can eat. Like you said, most things are, are already naturally gluten free, especially if you're eating whole real food. And that's really what we all should be eating anyway and that's really the best way to eat for optimal health you know just kind of if you're not just from a weight loss perspective but in general eating whole real clean food and not eating as much processed food which we our, our culture our nation the american culture has really become accustomed to and i think that's really the bigger issue when you talk about where things are from and what you're eating how it's processed there's just so much processed food and i and i like the fact that you know it through your work and through your blog and what you're doing for Rochester really getting us to think about keeping it local and all the things that we have right in our backyards we, you know, food wise in that you don't have to you don't necessarily have to always be worrying about running to, to Wegmans or whatever it is to buy whatever box dinner. Not not that there's anything wrong with that because again not imposing that you can't do that no, sometimes. We will
0: do but, that. And I I still shop at Wegmans. I'm not yeah. I'm not going to say I don't shop at Wegmans or I don't occasionally stop for fast food or something because we all do. Mm -hmm. But there's value in spending the time and meeting the farmers. right? Um, I'm going to shift off a little bit and I'm going to go – first, I'm going to go into a negative direction. Okay. Not about you, but – so gluten-free. Okay. You know, you have celiac disease. I know plenty of people that do. How annoying is it to you – this the the gluten-free diet thing that's going on right how, how annoying is that to you for for people that have no no reason to be doing what they're doing right i, I just i know i know people who've done it yeah. i know it's a fad yeah.
1: very trendy yeah it's, it's very become, trendy become very trendy well and, and it's i i've talked about this a lot on the blog through different commentaries and whatever and interviews but i'm gonna try to swing it back positive <laughs> <laughs> because that's just that's just how i roll but what I like to say is, like it's, it goes back to just like that. End up being an individual and being an advocate for yourself. If if you feel that eating gluten free for you, you you may not have a diagnosis of celiac disease or gluten sensitivity or gluten intolerance. Which, by the way, those those two latter points are are, are real. Mm-hmm. You know, sensitivity sure. or intolerance. But if you just feel that keeping wheat out of your diet for you works best for your body and you feel better and you think that it's there's something tangible to that then i think that that's awesome and you should continue to follow that and do that if you feel like you know even you know dairy for instance some people they may not have like a lactose intolerance i do it's it's unfortunate it sucks or a dairy allergy but they feel that they just don't do well eating or drinking you know cow's milk or whatever and they like almond milk i think that by all means follow that um you know what i don't like about it the fact that it's become so trendy is that just the misinformation and miseducation that surrounds that so now that you have you know different physicians and doctors plugging gluten-free or trying to promote it as some type of a weight loss diet right that's where i come in through my blog and through my content to say that I mean yes yes you can lose weight eating gluten-free like i i have but it it, i don't i don't promote it that the gluten-free part is what did it i promote it as that i increased my activity and i started eating whole real clean food that i cooked and prepared myself and not from a chain or from a box or from a fast food window that's how i lost my weight and that's how you too can or anyone regardless of whether it's gluten-free because on the flip side of that you can, you can gain weight eating gluten-free food because oh, if, you, if you're if you eating processed junk gluten-free food, it's, it's the same principle as any other food and, and, and calories Absolutely. and all of that. So I think just, you know, if you're eating gluten-free and you're saying, I'm eating gluten-free because I'm trying to lose weight, well, hold on a minute. That just, like, what are you really trying to say? Like, are you losing, is it because you're eating gluten-free and you're eating whole, real, clean food? Well, anyone can do that, whether they're calling it gluten-free or not. And... I think that's that's just the piece that that I don't like about it. That it's you know it's you know with all the fads you know the South Beach Diet or the, the Atkins Diet or whatever it is these you know I and I talk about this a lot through my work. Of course, again, it goes back to that. Um, you eat clean food. You eat real food. You you eat food that you've prepared with love, and you know when you do that that that's how you lose weight and you increase your activity and you say sometimes, okay, maybe we don't have to bring food to this like social event. Let's focus on like just moving our bodies. Like that's let's do that. So that's that's the piece where I I, I like to just really just advocate for and, and bring the awareness to that you know when when people promote it in that way and make it sound like that, then it you get this like trendy type of i mean, it's being joked about on letterman like i get mm-hmm. and i get the humor in that and i laugh sometimes well, i'm not of one of those people who i'm like oh how dare they make a joke about people who are gluten-free because i mean that's what comedians do that's I, the point of being a comedian a, yeah, and i think
0: that's important to be able to be able to t- tackle topics from different directions right you know i think there's a time and a place you know it's you know if we were sitting here right now and i was starting to make you know gluten free cracks and whatever else. It's not the time or place. Right. Because we're we're having a nice real discussion about it and it's great. Yeah. At another time we're hanging out somewhere and you're not eating something. I'll say, what the hell are you doing? Right. You gotta get you gotta get that pizza. It's delicious. Right. Bust your balls a little bit. Who cares? And and that's
1: and that's just that's just being balanced. And I and I like I said again, kind of touching on that, I'm never the one who I mean I go to an event. I think sometimes people and I don't I hope that I'm not the one who's like whenever there's like A gathering with food and I'm like I hope that I'm not the person who's making people feel like they have to go out and make me a gluten-free dish just so that I have something to eat maybe I do do that I I really try to be very cognizant that you you do not have to if like I'm coming to your house for dinner don't feel like you have to go out of your way to accommodate my 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 dietary restrictions again I'll find something I'll bring I, I typically cook I mean I don't I like to cook but even Outside of that, I'll bring something that's like again gluten free. That it's a can good policy. Eat. Yeah,
0: it's a good policy to bring a dish anyways. A lot of times, you know, and a lot People of times, yeah.
1: That. And I just eat. I'll eat before something. You just you know when you live with something and it's part of your everyday, you you just learn you learn how to how to roll with it. I always have some type of a snack in my bag, all of that type of stuff. So you just really learn how to live with it and. I think that's what a lot of people do. You just, you just learn to roll with it more often than not. There's not going to be something that you can eat. And, and I'll just eat when I get home. Like yeah. again, going back to like food doesn't have to always be. Cause sometimes we eat just because the food is there not because we actually need to be eating.
0: <laughs> I, I, I'm very guilty of that
1: myself. That's one of the harder things. Yeah, and, and for someone who's lost a significant amount of weight, I'm, I'm always mindful of, of why I'm eating and, what's the point of this? Am I eating just socially? Am I eating because I'm nervous or angry or have anxiety? Like I I took, I kept a diary for a while, like a food diary of like when I ate, why I ate and really tried Mm. to get to like the psychology of, of why I was overweight, you know, at that time. So not to get too much on that, but just, just keeping in mind that, you know, most of us, we, we have it down. And again, giving that information to people who may be new to the illness or new to the lifestyle for whatever reason so that, I mean, you too can just become used to it. And and food, going back to that diet piece, diet is just how you eat regularly. So that's what I like. Again, when you, your question about, you know, just being kind of like, okay, here they are plugging this gluten-free diet Yeah, diet is just how you eat every day. Sometimes it's really great. Most of the time, it, you're trying to get it to where you're most, mostly eating really great food and being active, and then sometimes you don't feel like it and you eat a bag of chips or whatever, or half the bag or half the carton of ice cream, and you'll do yeah. better tomorrow. That's I mean, that's that's okay.
0: It it always is the goal is yeah. trying to be as best you can. Well, I, I kind of want to switch off switch off from gluten free for a second because. Um, and sort of go off the topic of food because okay. it's it's a big topic in Rochester right now. You said you're you said you're a teacher. I am, and I was wondering what area of uh, what area do you teach in, and wh- what subjects do you teach?
1: Right. So um, when I did the program, National Teaching Fellows, I the training is like that a three month really intense training, and of course my background was not traditionally in education, but. Um, my coursework and everything, they, they kind of analyze like what your d- degree is in, what you've done career-wise and special education was what I ended up going into getting my certification in um, in Tennessee and I, through when I was in college, I did a lot of work, just part-time work and at some points full-time work um, with like Heritage Christian Services, the Ark of Monroe, so just working mm-hmm. with people who have developmental disabilities and so, when i ended up doing this program and, and getting into education that just always seemed to be the most that seemed to be the, that was the best fit for me at the time and now having someone who does deal with invisible disabilities for lack of a better word i feel there was just a really strong connection for being a special educator and being in the field of special education so when i ended up moving back here in 2013 i at that point, wasn't sure if I was going to go back into education as a career and needed some time just to to really focus on my health and all of that. And I ended up sidestepping, I guess, education in in like the traditional sense, started a gluten-free bakery, the gluten-free chef bakery, which I'm no longer running this year now. I started that last year and really, really found that the reason for, for not continuing in that was that I felt when I was running, you know, the, the business part of, of, of food and, and the gluten-free bakery, I, I felt like I was losing, losing my teaching roots. Mm. And so both in the traditional sense and through just the work that I was doing for my passion of cooking and being, you know, a foodie and living gluten-free, and I just really felt figured out. And it took me, I guess, that, that um, circumstance and that role to really see that I am very passionate about just teaching people and helping people um, understand whatever it is that I'm teaching, whether it be food or gluten-free living or whether it be math or what, what have you. So so right now, in addition to my work as a blogger and a writer, I, I'm, I'm a teacher assistant at Laurelton Party Elementary School. Um, which is part of East Arana court Central School District, and okay. because I guess really getting my passion, it took me some time, and I kind of deviated from from the teaching for a small bit, but then I've come full full circle. This summer, I'll just be finishing up a couple exams that New York State is requiring me to take. Unfortunately, because I only taught in Nashville for about two years or so, right. and they won't accept any of those exams that I took for the Tennessee license, of course. Of course. We love New York State. New York State's a pain in the ass all so, the time. So, yeah, I, I just have to take two more exams um, that all, you know, all teachers who go through programs in New York State have to take, and I'm just finishing up the last of four workshops to to get my New York State certification for New York State. I, I have for Tennessee, but, of course, we love New York State, and, they, you know, they're... They they pride themselves in saying that they have the highest standard for educators here. So, well, I guess I'll keep it positive and say that.
0: Yeah, it's it's such a such an interesting topic nowadays because of um, all the stories. You know, if you listen to public radio around here, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I listen to like Evan Dawson Show Connections, and you hear all the the talk about the issues in the city schools and all, all all you know how how unfortunate our education well the the graduation rate is mm-hmm. in the city, and it's I don't know the the more I the more I hear about it, and the more it's it's different. I, I I think it has to be really hard for the teachers, you know the the teachers that are well trained, the teachers that are passionate about it, to hear all the I don't know all all, all the negativity.
1: Yeah, the negative rhetoric, as we like to say.
0: Yeah, the, the, and there's a lot of it, and yeah. it's a lot of it is directed at teachers, mm-hmm. and it, it seems to be very. Uh, a convoluted, difficult situation for the teachers. That seems like it's almost as a no-win position. You know, if the kids are doing great, they're like, yeah, you're, they're supposed to do great. And if well, the kids are failing, then then it's the teacher's fault. It's all the teacher's fault. You did something fault. wrong.
1: And yeah, it's 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 interesting because we, of course, with my my fellow faculty and colleagues, we most most people who are in the profession of teaching in the in the classroom, the traditional sense, are very passionate about it and. You know all the teachers, at least in my school, that I a lot of them have been there for fifteen or more years, and you the the way that education is and and all that goes into being a teacher in a public school or you know a charter school, what have you, a, a private school, or whatever. There's no way that you can do it for fifteen years and not be committed to it, because yeah. in in many cases, what you're finding is that you're never going to be, just from the compensation standpoint, you're never going to be compensated enough to where it's all that goes, all that you have to do. And I think some people, they don't quite grasp that, that a lot of teachers are, they take, you take your work home pretty much daily on the weekends, even during school breaks. There's, There's usually almost not a time when you're thinking about your students, how you could have done something better or how you can modify something or change something or teach something or reteach something so that your your students get it because you i mean you take it very personally it's it's like a lot of times you feel like you have someone's life in your hands, and like if you don't do a great job you're somehow f- failing their life like literally failing them as a person so you know the 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 rhetoric that the majority of teachers in classrooms are just doing it for the paycheck is just like like I, I, I could get really passionate about that. That's just like absurd and obscene. Yeah. And literally, you're adding insult to the to the injury. You know, like really, you that you're you're going out on the limb to say that, and you know, being a special educator, the way that the public school systems now are built, and just with with New York State and the Common Core and all of that they don't account for students who have disabilities or learning disabilities or what have you. And so many times you're finding that students are being required to take these high stakes exams when throughout their whole, the whole year or their whole life in school up to that point, they are having their work modified, which means that you're, you may be scaffolding something or, you know, for instance, you know, I'm not really good at, you know, i multiplication facts. So, I'm 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 not only working on trying to get those facts to the point where they're becoming rote for me, but you know I may I may not have all of my fourth grade math math facts that I need to have the complete fourth grade level math work. So of course, as a special educator, my role is that is to help the student and the classroom teacher um, modify work so that I can be successful and I can be productive as a student, and then. In whatever the month is, let's say April, because that's when it was for 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 my school for for third through fifth grade. I'm being required to take an exam that is three levels away from my current level of ability. Wow! So then, of course, as the teacher, you already know that, you know, hey, you Calvin, you're not going to do well on this exam because in a, in 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 the real course of of our day, I would never put forth, you know, like this eighth grade level coursework which is essentially what many of those high stakes exams are they're like two or three grade levels ahead of even students who may not have a special learning need right so of course if you're doing maybe math work that's a grade level below where you are of course you're not going to be successful in that and as a teacher as a good teacher I would never require you to do that type of work. A good teacher teaches a student where they're at and then gets them to that higher level over time. Yeah. and these so, Yeah, so it doesn't make any sense.
0: And the, these exams, especially those uh, those exams that are used for teacher evaluation. Right. I, I learned for the first time this year how extensive they are and how long they are. Mm-hmm. Like, we took the SATs. And that's a one-day thing. Right. Some of these tests are two and three days they long. They were literally
1: right. And it's, it's you would never in in the in a normal coursework you wouldn't make a student sit through a three-day long exam just on a normal day so i you know and, and we can get into you know why and, and all of that but the, the point that i'm trying to make is that when, this, when those students don't do well that's it's not very clear to teachers and people who are in the education system how the state is accounting for that because we already know that you're if you're, you know, someone with a, a, a le- an individualized learning plan or education plan, that means that you are working to to kind of close your gaps in your in what you know and your right. knowledge. So of course you're not going to pass it or do well, whatever whatever that is. Your score will be low, for instance. And so then it, that goes back on the teacher and says, oh well, you you teach these x amount of students in your class half of them may have some kind of a modified or individualized learning plan but then they're required to take the same exam that everyone else is taking not an exam that's been specially designed to, to kind of actually assess what they know at their level but it's something much higher they don't pass and then it's like you teacher you're a bad teacher you didn't do something right because these five students didn't pass or half of your class didn't pass or whatever it is.
0: Well, it's it's also a negative yeah. feedback loop. Right. The, the teacher's negatively fed back on. The kid's negatively fed back. And even though they don't see the score, right, the kid knows they didn't do well. Of
1: course, because you struggled the whole, the whole three hours. Yeah, the whole
0: time you're struggling. And it's it's a negative feedback loop for everybody. You're disheartening the child. Right. You're disheartening the teachers in that either they're indignant and then they get bitter and mm-hmm. – Disenfranchised, like a lot of te- I mean, teachers do get that way because yeah. it's a, it's a hard racket, and I know knows a lot of passionate people. But it's a it's a tough position to be yeah. in when it's it's a no win situation, especially when there's you know learning disabilities involved, right? And that's that's it's easy to forget about that. You know, I mean, it's as bad as it is. Mm-hmm. It's easy to forget about the you know the you know the kids with the disabilities. It is. It's it's unfortunate because it's it's easy to focus on some of the big picture things like you look at the city schools and the graduation rate. Right. Easy to focus on. Yep. Hard to focus on a problem that's requires consistent effort Mm -hmm. all the time. There there's no you can't get away from that. There's no easy solution to to learning disabilities. They have to be treated all the time.
1: And it's indifferently for each person. So there's no one size fit fit that fits all model. And I just wish that in changing the legislation that that's happening, that's happened this school year and that's happening. Now we just see that, you know, between the New York state department and, and and the federal government and, you know, all of it down to the local level, it's literally, it's almost each day there's some new piece of what, they passed this legislation now they're trying to make all these amendments to it because there's absolutely no way that most schools are going to be in a position to implement these new evaluations by November of you know this year and it just almost has become like a circus show you know for lack of a better word it's become <laughs> we just you just kind of say well whenever it whenever it, whatever whatever comes out in the wash is what what you'll do and, and all the while you know someone like me who I could say I could look at uh, this and kind of say, hey, maybe I won't go ahead and get my New York State certification and, 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 and go through all this because like what's in it for me. But like I said, I'm very passionate about teaching and I, I'm, I'm going to continue on my track, you know, in the profession.
0: And I think I think it requires a passion of people like yourself yeah. that want to that want to help the kids that. A lot of people don't want to do it. Right. It's and that's harder. fine. It's hard. if you don't. Yeah, you know? and it's, it's the thing. It's it's harder. There's rewards there, of course, but yeah. it's not easier.
1: It's right. not always easy to see the rewards. Yeah. You know, at least on paper, I guess yeah. I'll say that, you know, and which which is maybe different for other, other professional professions that you could go and get into and, you know, not, not just the monetary reward because of, you know, but that's very important. And, and sometimes, gorgeous. in some cases, it's like, I have to deal with all of this stuff. Maybe it's not worth worth it for me for on, on a financial level, and you know I get it. And I feel like what's what's going to happen is that in the next five, close to ten years, there's going to be a huge gap for educators, not only in New York State but across the country. Because literally, for people of my generation, I feel, and people deciding now graduating the two thousand the class of two thousand twelve, what they'll get into. If if you look at the writing on the wall now and what's on paper now, it really doesn't behoove you to go into education now and to become a teacher. So I feel that you know the teachers who are who are here are kind of at this point. Many of them are hanging on because you know retirement and, and the changes in that legislation and everything. It's it just like okay, I'm going to hang on as long as I can. But like I said, in my school, many of them have been teaching for for many many years, and so they're not they're not going to always be there. So then who's going to fill the gap if New York State puts so much barrier that there's one barrier after another to get to you know, that road to becoming a, a qualified teacher. And like we said, it just it doesn't seem like it's worth it. So I feel that there's gonna be a huge gap and because of all of the legislation that's happening now, whatever ends up happening, I just don't see it promoting people to go into the field of education. And mm-hmm. it's almost to me become almost like a joke like oh you're a teacher like that's not something that's people people don't look up to you as it was maybe when i looked up to my teachers when you say you're a teacher it's not that same like oh oh i mean maybe maybe that's just my perspective but i don't
0: no i think it's definitely true and it's it's easy to it's easy to forget yeah it's easy to forget i mean i i don't Mm -hmm. I, i I might if the, it, you know I might consider it more if right. if the financial things were better, right. but the people that choose to do it, the people that have a passion for it, they're necessary. Absolutely, there there's no doubt that those people are necessary, and those there's no doubt that those people are contributing positively to the future of the kids who are in school, and they can have those amazing effects. You know, people that remember these great teachers. There's a reason for that. Mm-hmm. Because they can have an impact.
1: Absolutely, and I
0: mean, yeah, it's. Anyways, we could talk about education go on forever, forever. You're right? I'm gonna I'm gonna finish off with something I ask everybody. Okay. And specifically because of the you know the gluten free stuff. What 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 are the restaurants you go to that you love? So if somebody's if somebody's gluten free, I'm I'm gonna throw one out there first, just because okay. I went there last night. Because okay. I went to the Owl House last night. Perfect. They really. Made it easy for the guy who was there, who was who needed to be gluten free, and they were able to give him a great meal, mm-hmm. and he walked away really happy. You have great cocktails, they have right. gluten free bread, and it was really easy. Right. What What are some other places that you love?
1: Yeah, so it's it's when you ask me, it's it's always on just kind of at, at the beginning because I don't eat out a lot just oh, because right. I love to cook and I cook for myself, and a lot of times it is difficult to find a place where you feel comfortable that they that they not only get the ingredients but they get like how to handle your food. But um I also have a gluten free uh it's called gluten free Rochester. It's a Facebook group where we kind of it's a connection of people who have celiac disease and we kind of, you know, communicate with one another. We talk about different restaurants that we find in the city that we that we like, that we feel handle gluten free well. We don't have in Rochester, at least not to my knowledge. Now you might Maybe someone will write in, or you know, write into you, or write into me through my blog, um, a exclusively gluten free restaurant. That that's all they do is gluten free, so you don't have to worry about conca- contamination.
0: Yeah, I don't think so. I think there's places that focus on it. You know, like Owl House focuses, right. uh, uh, the Red Fern focuses right. on gluten free. Right. Yep. There's other places like that yeah. too.
1: So you've mentioned just a two. You know, two great ones, the Owl House, they, I think for the most part, they say that their kitchen is gluten-free because they found very early on that trying to accommodate for both was difficult. So just kind of pick one and they pick, you know, just kind of keeping our kitchen gluten-free. So I recommend that one. That one's on Find Me Gluten-Free as well. Um, Aladdin's, they they do get gluten-free there. Of course, with Aladdin's, it's it's more of a Greek and, and I like it because it's really focus on the fresh, the mm-hmm. local and you know, of course, everything is always served with like some type of a flatbread of some sort. But if, as long as you don't, you, you keep that off. They they can pretty much modify most of the things on their menu to be gluten free. Yeah, some of their, a lot of their pastas. I actually just went to Aladdin's maybe three or four weeks ago with a friend, and they they do have gluten free pastas, and That's you know they're they're they have a set of you know cook cookware that they exclusively use for their gluten free. So as long as you're being an advocate for yourself from the beginning, they can accommodate you well. I know Han Noodle on Monroe is a good place. Mm-hmm. Chain-wise, I mean, I don't want to list off too many chains, but because, you know, sometimes for for us, you know, you do have to go to a chain just in general.
0: And it's it's really easy because yeah. they are there's no doubt on the menu everything they, is labeled right
1: and when they put it on there there's some accountability to that when you when Absolutely. you I mean, especially when you have a chain so um some some ones that are good i just went out to uno back in the winter uno um i think it's uno now they kind of slightly did like a yeah i think change. they're up branding themselves yeah, a little bit yeah. yeah uno out in the I, I can only speak for the henrietta location they because actually I didn't have a good review of Uno um a while ago and I and I wrote about it. But then I when I went this past winter, they have significantly improved their menu. They actually have a dedicated gluten free menu with several options, one of them being a actual what they what they specialize in their pizza, a gluten free pizza. And I reviewed the the pizza on, on my blog, the gluten free chef blog, and I was amazed with it. I mean it was of course, for, with with pizza, you're gonna typically always get that thin crust style pizza. Yeah, yeah, but I thought that they had three different options. You know, the the standard pepperoni. They have a veggie. They have a cheese. It was fresh. It was crisp. It was it was high. The the dough. I thought or the the crust really um, responded well and held up well with the cheese and all the toppings. So I I think that's a great place. Red Robin. Um, I've been told from people who are trust in the group that they now do have they have gluten free rolls that they use and they have a dedicated fryer for their french fries the one wow. I think there's only one in the city the the or the, in our area the maybe no there's one in Webster the one that I know of for sure is the one in Henrietta mm-hmm. that red robin is another great place I know chipotle they that's that's a chain but they they do well with cross contamination just as, as in general um and I Apparently, Subway. I think nationwide have they've launched like a pilot of gluten free rolls. Mm-hmm. So the Subway and there's tons of Subways, of course, in our area. But the one specifically I know um, on Long Pond Road, I believe. Okay. They, I guess that was one of the pilot locations for the gluten free roll in, in our area, and they do well with the preparation i guess the rolls i haven't tried one yet because i don't eat subs a lot yeah but the the roll is pretty good i mean of course like you mentioned earlier it's not going to be it's not going to be a de sub roll no, of course ever not. but um they said it holds up really well it's it's packaged in its own package so you don't have to worry about it lying next right, to it right. has to be toasted or they toast it i guess you know to make it be, taste better and hold of up course. better which is which is not uncommon for gluten-free rolls so those are a few i'm trying i'm i'm trying to think of some other um well, i don't I, remember all that i sent to you
0: yeah, I, i'm gonna throw in one more that i okay that i know that does gluten-free and uh, is very popular okay uh it's a bc's chicken coop in webster okay uh they do fried chicken okay and uh from a traditional fried chicken some of my favorite in the city Okay. But they have a dedicated fryer for gluten free fried chicken.
1: That makes me think about now I just a couple just jumped. Livingston County Pizza Company, I think it is. Okay. They also do a lot of like the the diner style fried food kind of chicken mm-hmm. fingers. They do pizza. I have eaten from them. He really knows his gluten free, I guess I can say. Um Nick's Deli out in Chilai. They're another sub pizza place that that do gluten free really well. They have gluten free fish fries. I think every Friday. Wow. And you know, just of course, bakery wise, you know, my my the gluten free chef bakery is is no longer there. But the person who I worked with, I believe, is is moving forward with opening up a brand that's gluten free under her own name and moniker. Awesome. Um, so that'll, that'll be there. It's Ellie's Gluten-Free Bakery, which is dedicated gluten-free. Yep, and
0: I've seen her around at some of the markets. Yep. yep
1: Ellie's, Donna Marie's, which I think just opened up a second location in Penfield. Yep. She's, she was the first dedicated gluten-free bakery here in Rochester and I think Get Caked as well. And yeah, and
0: I think uh, Scratch is doing some gluten-free yep. stuff as well.
1: Village Gate, um, Scratch Bake Shop, which is new, the boutique bakery yep, on Park, Park Ave. Yep, yep. Uh, like you said, Red Fern. They do really well. I think Baker Street, they have um, gluten-free. Now, I just want to just throw out there, like, some of the things that I've... Some of these restaurants I have not reviewed or tried well, for sure, myself. Sure. Um, so I, I rely a lot on the gluten-free Rochester group for, for people and also the Rochester Celiac Support Group. If you Google that they have a Facebook page. that's another great resource for, for celiacs and, and just in just in the area or those who may be new. I think they meet the second or third Tuesday of every month.
0: Okay. It sounds like a great resource for people.
1: Yeah, this the church on Saint Anne, Saint Anne's Church on Mount Hope Avenue. They're the Celiac support group. They that of course it's 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 the board is all people who have celiac disease. It's a support group. Just you know, they have a, a an email that you can use, a, a Google group that you can email questions about where to go, what's the best place. I tried this place. They said they were gluten-free, but then they, they weren't kind of thing. Um, PF Chains out in Victor is another good chain that they mm-hmm. have a dedicated gluten-free menu if you're really into the Asian-themed sure. um, food. And, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned this because I will be kind of launching very soon on my blog just... A Gluten-Free Chef Rock or Gluten-Free Rock Guide, I'm calling it. I think that's kind of like my working title. Mm-hmm. And what it'll be is just basically a list of all of the the restaurants, grocery stores that are in our area that I I feel do gluten-free really well. So uh, going back to just my awareness and the Gluten-Free Chef blog brand, I don't promote anything on my site that I have not used in in terms of product or worked with that sort of thing. So it'll be, it'll be places that I've, that I know for sure that I feel comfortable. um, Sure. Patronizing myself. You know, I I would never send anyone someplace where I'm not certain or even if I haven't tried it myself, don't know for sure that people who I trust in that Facebook group, because my sensitivity level with cross contamination isn't as high as other people. Of course. So, these folks I know, if 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 you're not doing contamination well or allotting for that, they will call you out. You know, if you don't change your gloves, that's like strike one, and you're you're pretty much out. Sure. If your staff doesn't do that even one time, because it doesn't take it, it doesn't take a lot of gluten, you know, intake to make someone really sick. And so people are very they're they're watching you. If if you're saying you're doing gluten free and you're not dedicated, which is fine, but you need to be. Making sure that you're allotting for contamination well and have dedicated, whether it be a fryer or cookware, you know, um, all of your utensils need to be handled and washed and all of that in a way that people won't even be able to ingest even just. I mean, of course, it's never impossible, Of course, but you need to, you know, you're changing your gloves, you're. You know, you if you use a bowl to mix croutons in that are regular, you better be using another bowl for ones that are gluten free. If if you're saying, that's what you do, because, you know, another you know, not switching gears too too much, but Mm. when you have that gluten free moniker, you're using that label. It's it's very important, and it's not something to just dismiss and slap it on your menu and then not not really account for that. Right, not take the time
0: and effort to do it the
1: right way. Yeah, so.
0: Yeah. Well, on that note, let's get your plugs in again. Okay. So, your website?
1: The website, the Um is, is the, the blog, the the source, you know, the, the hub of information. My podcast is Ask the Gluten-Free Chef, and you can find that on SoundCloud. Um, of course, I'm on Twitter. What I'm trying to really promote is that people, if you do have questions about celiac disease and you want them discussed in my podcast, you know, you go to Twitter. There's uh, the gluten free chef at is the official kind of email account for those questions. Twitter. I'm glutenfreechef chef five handle glutenfreechef chef five and hashtag X the gluten Awesome. And then the Facebook, the gluten free chef blog by Calvin Eaton is on Facebook and yeah, that's, that's really it. It's, that's great. And I, and I hope that I can just be a source of like, again, just like information. And, and I think, you know, no question is not a good question, whether you are just curious, you have a question, you're cooking for someone, or, you know, that, that's a lot. People just don't know where to start. You know, the, the blog is just a great source of recipes that are tested, that are tried, that are true. And so you don't have to feel like you have to start at, you know, start from scratch or, or start nowhere if, if you have those questions.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks a lot for coming over,
1: Calvin. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah, I had a great time and I'm I'm glad I reached out. It's uh it's it's a fun experiment reaching out to people you don't know and Absolutely. Know, I know I I learned a lot today and I'm uh, glad you came over. Hope to talk to you soon. Great. Thanks. Thanks, then. Okay.